Are you looking for a way to save a little money? What about getting your subscriptions under control? If so, then I've got just the solution for you. Rocket Money. With the help of Rocket Money, I was able to find a subscription that I completely forgot to cancel before the free trial was up. I'm sure you've all been there. And Rocket Money can help me cancel it. Between streaming platforms, apps, delivery services, and even parenting and kids subscriptions, it's hard to keep track of exactly what you're spending and how much it all adds up to each and every month. Not to mention the fact that it seems every single day one of those subscriptions suddenly jumps up in price. Rocket Money alerts you when this happens so you're never caught unawares. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. With them, I can see clearly what my monthly spending is and how it compares to the month before, making saving money and taking control over my finances so much easier. They'll also try to negotiate lowering your bills up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. They'll even deal with customer service for you. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash morning cup. That's rocketmoney.com slash morning cup. Rocketmoney.com slash morning cup. Sometimes going to the grocery store can be chaotic. There doesn't seem to be enough time to check the list, make sure everything is there, search for the best prices, and take the time to make sure you get the best quality meat. So let ButcherBox help you out. Giving you peace of mind, ButcherBox delivers high-quality meat and seafood that you can trust straight to your door. No grocery carts required. Humanely raised, no antibiotics or hormones, 100% grass-fed, free-range, and crate-free, What? more can you ask for? What about free shipping, customized box plans, exclusive member deals, recipe inspirations, tips, and tricks? You really can't go wrong with ButcherBox. Sign up at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breasts, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and use code morning cup to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird morning cup of murder. The idea of spending decades behind bars for a crime you did not commit is a terrifying one. On January 28, 1988, a man was found guilty for a crime that he swore he did not commit. One that saw the death of a young woman, a trial that kept some details secret, and a long fight for justice. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Linda Cook, just 24 years old, was a barmaid living in the home of her boyfriend's mother in Portsmouth, Hampshire, England. Having been in a relationship with Linda Gray's son since August of 1986, Linda moved into the family home that November, but her boyfriend was remanded to a detention center shortly thereafter. Still living with his family, according to Linda Gray, on December 8, 1986, Linda Cook left the home at about 11.30 p.m. to go visit a friend on Sultan Road. Leaving the friend's house just after midnight on December 9th, 
Linda began the walk home and at some point found herself near an area of, quote, wasteland known locally as Mary Row. It was here that she was suddenly accosted, raped, strangled, and stomped upon with such force that her jaw and spine were fractured, her larynx was crushed, and imprints of the assailant's shoe were left deep in her abdomen. The entire attack took about 15 minutes, and at the end, the young girl's naked body was left there to be discovered later that day. An investigation began immediately, and vaginal, anal, and vulval swabs were all taken by a pathologist, and during subsequent forensic examinations, the presence of semen could be found and the blood type of the killer determined. There was also trace evidence gathered that included fibers from under Linda's fingernails, and police, finding her underwear with no semen stains, determined that she was first stripped of her clothing before being raped by the attacker. Now, what the investigators did not know at the time was that, on the same night of the murder, 18-year-old seaman with the Royal Navy, Michael Shirley, serving aboard the HMS Apollo, left the ship when it docked in Portsmouth and headed to a nightclub called Joanna's. While there, he met a woman named Dina Fogg, and when the club closed down, the young girl agreed to share a taxi with him on her way home. After a short five-minute drive, Dina told Michael that she needed to go collect her child from her mother's before getting back into the car to go home. Whatever Michael had been planning, Dina had no intention of spending the night with him. So instead of doing as she said, she left the building through another exit and returned on foot to her nearby home. After about 15 minutes idling in the taxi, Michael realized that he had been tricked, paid the fare, and went looking for Dina. He later stated that, for the next 10 minutes, he looked for the woman he met at the club, but finding nothing, he decided to go back to the dock. Getting in another taxi, with it now being 1.23 a.m., Michael got to the gates and was booked in back aboard the Apollo by 1.45 a.m. Two days later, he by chance ran back into Dina Fogg, and during their brief conversation, the murder and its close proximity to their location was allegedly mentioned. Later spending his Christmas shore leave at his parents' home in Warwickshire, in January of 1987, Michael Shirley returned to Portsmouth with plans to sail to the Falkland Islands. However, on January 5th, 1987, just before the ship left the UK, he made another visit to Joanna's, where Dina, who by now was discovered as a witness during a house-to-house search by the police, identified him as the man she was with the night of Linda's murder. He was quickly arrested, taken into custody, and charged with the murder of Linda Cook, a crime that, police now knew, took place shortly after a total of at least six sexual assaults in the same area of the city. Initially dubbed the Beast of Buckland by the news media, Michael Shirley was taken to trial. According to the prosecutors, they believed that, while looking for Dina Fogg that night, Michael came upon a lone Linda Cook and took out his anger on the stranger. And the case hinged on exactly four pieces of circumstantial evidence. The first was the athletic shoe imprint left on Linda's stomach that was made with a size 43 to 45 right shoe with a distinctive tread pattern that included the word flash in the heel. A shoe that Michael, a size 44, said he, quote, may have been wearing the night of the murder. 
stating that he purchased the pair in Portsmouth around October of 1986, no blood was found on the shoes when examined by forensic scientists. The other piece of evidence was the fact that the semen samples taken from Linda's body were a match to Michael Shirley's O-positive blood group, a type shared with 23.3% of British adult male population. However, no blood matching Linda's was found on his clothing, nor were any matching fibers. The next piece of evidence potentially pointing to Michael's guilt, at least according to the prosecution, were the healed scratches found on his right cheek, right eyebrow, collarbone, left shoulder, right elbow, right forearm, right index finger, left upper arm, and left elbow at the time of his arrest. Claiming the cuts were about four weeks old, the prosecution stated that this matched the time frame of the murder, but according to the defense's expert, it was not possible to date injuries with such accuracy and that some of the injuries could have been sustained while Michael served in Barbados in October of 1986. Not to mention the fact that, while examining Linda's body, they found that her long fingernails were left unbroken and without any forensic evidence underneath, making it unlikely that she ever scratched her attacker. The jury, however, was not told this piece of information. The last thing that the prosecution presented was the, quote, missing 30 minutes between when Dina Fogg last saw Michael Shirley and when he checked back aboard the ship, claiming that, taking into account his own description of his journey back to the ship, Michael should have arrived closer to 1.15 a.m., not 1.45 like the log shows. If accurate, that meant there were 30 minutes left unaccounted for, sufficient enough time to carry out the rape and murder of Linda Cook. However, when interviewed, Dina Fogg gave two different statements, one that gave him those 30 minutes, and another that placed him well away from the scene at Linda's time of death. The first, which is the one that gave him an alibi, was not presented to the jury, and only emerged later when claims were made that her second statement, the damning one, was given under duress after more than 10 hours in the police station away from her baby. Additionally, the Crown alleged that, when speaking the second time, Michael's mentions of the murder and what time they left the nightclub were an attempt to, quote, concoct an alibi, as well as saying that, when speaking with police, he referred to Dina as Sue, which they claimed was his way of keeping the witness a secret from police so she could not implicate him in the crime. Michael Shirley remained steadfast in his innocence, and both he and his legal team were confident that the circumstantial evidence would not be enough for a conviction. However, on January 28, 1988, the jury found him guilty of the rape and murder of Linda Cook and sentenced him to life imprisonment. Michael Shirley was incarcerated at several prisons from 1988 to 2003. All the while, he and others fought to prove his innocence. In 1992, after a five-week-long hunger strike, Public attention grew strong enough that, by September, his solicitor sent the Home Office fresh evidence which, they claimed, pointed at his complete innocence. When the evidence was ignored, Michael staged a rooftop protest and only came down when the prison authorities agreed to let the journalist who uncovered the news, Neil Humber, into the prison to speak with him. Another hunger strike began in January of 1993, at which point his mother told the media that he would remain on strike, quote, 
until he gets something in black and white to show that there really is something happening. Hampshire are not going to own up to making a mistake. It lasted a total of 42 days before the home office finally agreed to, quote, possibly review his case if they were given new evidence. Neil Humber prepared a 49-page report, which was then passed on to the authorities. He was subsequently fired from the newspaper. The fight continued, a number of setbacks occurred, and the case as a whole was hampered by the Hampshire Constabulary's poor handling of evidence, which prevented DNA profiling that Michael believed would finally establish his innocence once and for all. In fact, most of the evidence had been destroyed just six months after the trial. It wasn't until 2001 that the police admitted to finding a slide taken from one of the swabs, quote, in a drawer, and in 2002 said they found further clothing evidence. When tested, the samples proved that Michael Shirley was telling the truth. After entering prison at the age of 18, at 34 years old, Michael walked out a free man. This was the first time that a UK court quashed a previous conviction on the basis of new DNA evidence, and was also the first occasion in which the Criminal Cases Review Commission supported an appeal on the basis of newly available DNA evidence. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on January 29th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.